Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, I sit down with John Vallis, who is becoming, I guess, a semi-regular on the show. This is his third time, and the reason he's becoming a semi-regular is I absolutely love sitting down and picking his brain on all things around Bitcoin and the economy, and that's exactly what we do here. We talk about economics, pricing mechanisms, pricing distortions. Because of some of the current economic systems, pricing distortions, we get into all of that, how that reflects on our lives. And this whole talk just made me reflect on a whole bunch of things, especially what's going on in the economy right now with the rapid rise in interest rates, the effects that's having on the economy itself, on real estate specifically, what's going on in some of the Bitcoin pricing space, what's going on in the crypto exchange market. And I think here's a couple of points just to keep in mind if you're new to a lot of what's going on in the Bitcoin world and some of these exchanges that are involved in this world. The first thing I would keep in mind is that if you're new to the space is to try to understand that Bitcoin, in our opinion, is not crypto. Bitcoin to us is much more like a digital commodity. All the other cryptos are more like tech companies or tech platforms. There's people involved with them. There, There's associations kind of making decisions on their next moves. Bitcoin itself kind of lives out in the digital wild. It's a digital commodity in our opinion. All the other crypto stuff is more like tech companies. So understand that when you're looking at this space, they're two very different things. And if you need a book to do a deep dive to get a better understanding of it, our favorite is The Bitcoin Standard by Seyfedina Moose. But if you want something that's maybe a little easier to get into, because that book can be a little bit of a heavy read, I'm told, you can check out Magic Internet Money by Jesse Berger, who's been on this show. That's a really, really good introduction to Bitcoin. There's also another one. Hold on. It's my on my bookshelf here. Let me look at it. It is The Bullish Case for Bitcoin by Vijay Boyapati. He has been on this podcast as well. That's actually a medium article on Medium, um, or you can actually get the book. So that's a good introduction. So those are some resources for you to try to get a grasp of what Bitcoin is and isn't. And then just a comment on the exchanges, what we're seeing in the economy right now. A lot of these crypto exchanges are offshore, don't have any regulations or not the best regulations. And there's a lot of fraud going on. Some of these exchanges look like they are saying that they have people's crypto assets and they don't have them at all. Some of them are saying they have Bitcoin and they don't have them at all. So I guess the point in this space to us is that if you're going to get into something like Bitcoin, you want to custody it yourself. So if you go on YouTube and you look up how to custody my Bitcoin or how to take my own keys or how to use a nano ledger or how to use, you know, a hardware wallet, it's pretty straightforward. It's not that difficult, but it's important to us that we custody these things ourselves. I'm just talking about Nick and myself. So do your own research on this. Decide if it's right for you. But I guess the reason that we think it's important for us is we highly, I guess we, we believe that the quality of our assets is highly correlated to the quality of our lives going forward. So it's why we want real estate in our own names and have personal ownership of it and not through a REIT or something like that. Not that you can, if that's right for you, have a REIT. It's just for us, we want direct custody of these assets. If we're going to buy Bitcoin, we want direct custody of these things. The financial world is wild right now. You know, we lived through the 1990 real estate collapse in this country. That was pretty wild and wicked, and it lasted for many years. Then we lived through the um, early 2000s, the tech crash, and that was pretty wild. Um, You know, after that happened, if you talked about a tech company to anyone, they just kind of laughed and smirked at you. So we kind of went through that, and we were working in tech. Um, Then we went through 2008, where the U.S. great financial crisis kind of 
was expected to spill over into Canada and scared a lot of people. It didn't completely, but that was obviously a big, big event. Then in 2017, the real estate market here kind of peaked for a little bit, came down, freaked everyone out, but then kind of rebounded and kind of confused everyone. And now in 2022, it seems like it's all coming together. There's tech companies laying off thousands of workers. The stocks in these companies have come down. There's the real estate prices getting affected by the highest and most steep increase in rates that we've ever seen. There's obviously the Bitcoin price swinging absolutely wildly. So it's more important than ever, in our opinion, if you're going to own something, understand what you own. Do your own due diligence. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to Nick. Don't listen to anyone about anything. You can hear our opinions on things, but don't own anything you don't fully understand. That's how I feel comfortable with what I own. I like to buy things I understand. If I don't understand it, I don't buy it. Or if I did buy some of it and I, and I figure it, I, I can't figure it out completely. I don't know what I own. I sell it. So I just like to own things I completely understand. So uh, that's a long intro to the John Vallis episode, but there you go. And if you are listening to this and you want to get some real estate resources to kind of make sense of what's going on in the greater Toronto area here around real estate, you can pick up some of our reports that cover specifically the population growth in this area is probably the still the most under-reported thing in this area, especially the population growth in Canada and how it affects Ontario and then the greater Toronto area and then the lack of supply or the lack of new housing that's coming on the market. So if you want to get one of our reports on this subject, you can go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. That's it with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. I don't, I don't feel, that's my brother who you've never met, by the, by the way. Didn't so we, we meet are, in you know, Miami? Oh yeah, you you my... sorry. See, yeah. look, I'm I, I'm forgetting everything these days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we're live with John Vallis, and uh, yeah, Nick just walked by in the background there, and I was just about to say I'm exhausted. It's Friday. I'm exhausted today more than usual because I'm back at the gym. It's been a good summer. Traveled a lot. Didn't really do too much at the gym while I've been traveling. And now we're all the way in November. I'm finally getting a routine back. And I started lifting a little heavier again. Not that I lift anything incredible, incredibly heavy, but I, but you know, just. For me, it's it's I'm, it's. I'm heavy. sure you can throw up some weight. Yeah, I can do a, a little that bit. Vibe then, from you. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, yesterday they programmed like a 40 minute cardio workout, which I just like. For me, I'll do it, but I will complain. I'm the guy who goes to the gym and complains about what is programmed for that day, but I'll do it because I I want to suffer. Like I want I enjoy the suffering. But right. I'll complain and then I'll go and suffer and be happy at the end. But it was 40 minutes of like a 1K row, a 1K row, 1K run and 1K on the bike. Just like, you know, as many times as you can for 40 minutes. And I was just complaining. And today, I'm not going to lie. I'm exhausted. But, uh, <laughs> but you're, 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 well, you're bringing. My I always I always work out before these because I feel like even if you're oh, there's the doorbell, even if you're exhausted um, or I feel like especially if you're exhausted, if your muscles are tired, if you had a good like blowout of the lungs your your mind is more focused like you, you you just can't worry about as much and so i find it easier to dial in so i just hit the gym as well yeah there back. you go there we go showing the pipes <laughs> there we go yeah yeah yeah. awesome man awesome awesome yeah yeah. that's so cool 
Yeah, I never thought I'd be doing all this stuff. So yeah, it's cool. Okay, listen, there's too much to I I I need to jump in here and, and get to this sure. with you. I think I'm pretty much turning into like a Bitcoin maxi. I guess I was like a Bitcoin. I knew I was like a long time ago, but uh um this last few weeks we're recording this just as this whole FTX debacle is happening and stuff. And um I think when I first came into the Bitcoin world, I bought Bitcoin and then I heard of like Ethereum. So I was like, oh, okay. Like everybody mentions this Ethereum. Sounds, Ethereum. Cool. Sounds pretty cool. Like, I guess I'll get some. Like literally that was like the, the process, right? Mm -hmm. And then going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, this is in 2020, I guess by the end of 2020 or into the beginning of 2021, I was like, wait a second. Like, I don't understand. I understand Bitcoin pretty what I thought at that time deeply, there's layers, as you know, but I thought, okay, like I understand Bitcoin for what I think I'm buying it for. I don't understand this other thing or I don't understand these other things. And I just, at that point, I'm like, oh, I just like Bitcoin. I don't really like anything else, but I was kind of what I would say, I don't know if the wording is gentle about it or, um, I don't know how, how I would articulate the way I communicated that to people. I would just say, yeah, like I like Bitcoin the other stuff's crypto. Don't talk to me about that. I like Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And for these reasons, here are my reasons. Now, after this whole FTX thing, I feel like I'm entering this stage where it's like my first reaction to this was when anyone asked me was to almost just bark at them a little bit and say, listen, <laughs> it's time you grow up here. Like you need to grow up. Like we can't really, we don't have time to waste. Like mm -hmm. you need to figure this stuff out. So I've kind of, even though I would call myself a Bitcoin maxi for some time now, I feel like it's taking this different evolution. So I guess I wanted to hear it from you for people who don't know what that term is. Could you describe like what you think that mentality is or what it means to, your, to you? And um, just for people who may not have heard it. And then I would just like any kind of stream of consciousness that you have around that at this moment in time. And I guess I'm coming from a place, John, where you, that, that article that you wrote that I really, really like of monsters and maximalists. Um, I really, really enjoyed that write up. So I guess kind of just reviewing that a little bit today, this is all on my mind. So with that, can you tell us about Bitcoin maximalism, your thoughts on it, wherever you want to go? I'm, I'm just curious. Sure. Um, well, I guess the, the, what this all continues to um, reveal to me, and not that I needed another reminder, but it seems like everybody needs to touch the stove. That's number one. You know, and, and the, the toxic maximalist, which you were just kind of saying you weren't necessarily one, but you, maybe you're becoming I, I more of one. <laughs> right. That, yeah. that moniker exists because people have been trying for literally, you know, a decade now, you know, about a decade to tell people that. The phenomenon here, the thing of value here, the real paradigm shift here is Bitcoin. It's not this universe of other crypto, so-called cryptocurrencies. And the reason is, is because, well, there's a, there's a number, number of reasons. One, if we're dealing with the emergence of a new form of money, money converges on, on the best, right? In a, in a free and open market, of course, not in the markets we have today, because every country is able to issue a fiat currency and, and enforce that their use via legal tender laws, right? So, and via, you know, the, the requirement to pay taxes in them, et cetera, et cetera. But in a free market, money converges on one. And of course, the, the, the history of gold is a, is a great example of that. Um, now, the reason why gold had silver as a, you know, uh, why gold and silver kind of shared that moniker 
was simply the value to weight ratio of gold, right? So like it, it couldn't, you couldn't use gold in extremely small or smaller transactions. So you kind of needed the silver to, uh, to complement gold. Whereas if you have something, a money that's infinitely divisible, so you can use it to buy a yacht or you can use it to buy an espresso, then you don't need a secondary form of money because it has that divisible divisibility. So one is monies converge on one and they're determined by their monetary attributes in an open market. Uh, the second thing is, is that the thing that people don't seem to understand about this phenomenon is that the whole point, and this is an un uncomfortable truth for a lot of people, but the whole point of this is something that the powers that be, the regulators, the governments, the existing, you know, the legacy financial institutions cannot stop. And we call that censorship resistance. And when, when we say censorship resistance, we don't just mean a transaction can't be censored by the network. We don't just mean a transaction can't be stopped by the government. We literally mean you, when you custody this asset properly, you are the only one who determines what happens with it. And nobody can stop you from doing that. And the reason why I say that's uncomfortable is because we live in a world today where, I mean, we're awash in rules, basically. You know, we've, the current monetary system has at least largely contributed to the size and scale of the institutions of government and bureaucracy that we have today. And most people have become habituated to that because they've been born into it. And they, a lot of people feel it's normal. So it's normal to censor transactions or it's normal to cut off someone's bank account, or it's normal to say, you can't do this, you can't do that. Um, and this form of money by virtue of how it's designed and if, if it's custodied properly means that you have complete financial sovereignty, financial freedom, financial autonomy. And that the reason why that's the case is because it cannot be censored on any level of its use. And the re again, the reason why I say that's uncomfortable is because that means someone can do whatever they want with their money if they're using Bitcoin and they're custodying it properly. Um, and so all of these other uh, cryptocurrencies basically think that it's about something else. It's about putting bananas on the blockchain. It's about a world computer. It's about, I don't know, there's 20,000 of them now and they all dream up some narrative to, to, mm -hmm, to make mm -hmm. the case for themselves. But the reality is, is that some of them, well, none of them are as censorship resistant as Bitcoin and none of them ever will be in my opinion. And so that means just by virtue of that fact alone, Bitcoin's gonna win in the long term. But most of them aren't censorship resistant at all. So they can be turned off on the protocol level or by the foundation that, that that controls it or by the people that control most of the stake or by the certain, you know, the Amazon servers that they run on. There's a lot of choke points for most of these things. So they're not, and this whole term decentralization that, you know, we often hear bandied about today, that's not an end in itself. That's a means to an end. And, and the end is censorship resistant. You want something that's so decentralized that there's no single point of failure that nobody can shut it off, that nobody can censor it, that nobody has the power to intermediate your relationship to that asset. So the asset, as far as you're concerned, is inviolable. You, your relation to that asset is inviolable. And I just think a lot of the carnage we're seeing and a lot of the perversion that we're seeing is trying to fit that asset and all the uh, Frankenstein offshoots that it's inspired into our understanding and into mm -hmm. the legacy system that that we were brought up in and that we've we've become habituated to and it just doesn't fit right you you can't tell bitcoin hey you can't make this transaction you can't sell to this person mm -hmm. hey you you didn't pay you know your taxes or whatever like bitcoin 
just shrugs. It's not compatible with the existing measures of control in the existing system that we operate in. And I think a lot of people, one, don't appreciate the value of that. Um, and as a result, they don't treat it that way. And that's why a lot, you know, people will store their Bitcoins on exchanges, whether it's FTX or Coinbase mm -hmm. or wherever else. And they'll try to get, you know, yield on them because, well, how do you get the yield? I don't fucking know, but it's 8% mm -hmm. and I'll take that's it. That's what you, you know? do. That's what you do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and all of, and yeah. And so in, in an attempt to have your cake and eat it too, to have the best of both worlds, let's say, and not really appreciate the value of Bitcoin in the first place, a lot of people uh, get wrecked basically because Again, the, the systems are fundamentally incompatible. And unless you are custodying, unless you are, Bitcoin is the only asset that you're, uh, you know, invested in. And unless you're yeah. custodying it yourself, you're going to be, you're going to fall victim to all this stuff and it'll keep happening. And this is nothing new. I mean, Mt. Gox blew up in yeah. 2013, I think it was maybe a bit, of, yeah, around that time. I don't, yeah. And, and at that time, it was only Bitcoin and people that left their Bitcoin on that exchange rather than taking custody for themselves, they lost all their Bitcoin, you know, and it's been in bankruptcy court or, or whatever for eight years. And so people seem to have to learn the hard way that there's only one thing to really focus on here. And there's only one way to treat it, which is taking self-custody for yourself and making sure that you're completely sovereign over that asset. And if you are, it grants you a degree of freedom that you know, and, and this bleeds into the stuff that I've been focusing on a lot lately, that is quite powerful and transformational, like in people's lives and have, having the ability to access that degree of freedom and that, that degree of certainty over the future, or if not certainty, a high, a much higher degree of confidence about the future that bleeds into your life and your anxiety and your ambitions for the future and how you think about the future. And, and then once you try to understand what this asset really is, you know, the attempt to understand Bitcoin as I'm sure you've witnessed a little bit. Yeah. Mind bleeds in, right bleeds into an attempt to understand many other things oh. in the world. Um, and people think that, you're correct. Like when when you go into sorry, sorry, just just on no, that note, when people when you start to go down that rabbit hole, when it's beyond money, because at first it, to me it was like, oh my gosh, this is better than gold. This is like the most amazing form of hard money that I've ever seen. And I kind of studied it from that angle. And then when you realize what this can maybe do to society and to people's lives. And then how that, if you extrapolate that forward five years, 10 years, 15 years, what that means for all of that, us, what it means for the world, what it means how in how we capture energy, what it means, what it means for the entrepreneur to get a true economic signal that is not manipulated through regulations or through manipulation like our current fiat dollar system is. So entrepreneurs can make the best possible economic decisions, not only for themselves, but maybe I can create something wonderful for you, John, because I have a pure economic signal and I have to produce so much value in the economy to convince you to separate yourself from your awesome, beautiful uh, form of money, Bitcoin, mm -hmm. that what I produce as an entrepreneur, whether it be a good or a service, has to be at the highest level possible. Otherwise, right. John's not going to give up his money because his money is so valuable and it's going up in value. Mm -hmm. And when you start going down that rabbit hole of like all the different things that this can help, you, you, that's to me when you just have this like explosion and then, then it's when you have this realization, whereas I know some of my friends who are going to listen to this are going to think that I get crazy. I'm like, oh my gosh, it is the single form of truth. Like this is <laughs> Bitcoin. And I know you stand by, and I know, I know what you're all about. You stand by that. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is like the benchmark to measure everything else in the world against. Hmm. Like 
this is it. But when you talk that way at first with people, they just think, or at least my friends anyway, they're just like, Tom, listen, can you just, yeah. can you st stand down, stand down? What, what yeah. are you doing? Well, well but, oh, I, I, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, I hate to be invoking matrix quotes this early in the discussion, but you know, what? It, not everyone's ready to be unplugged is a famous quote yeah, from the first yeah, matrix yeah, yeah. movie. And, and, you know, it, it, it seems absurd to, to, you know, like, okay, does, like a, 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 new, a new form of money has emerged. Why that's yeah, such a, yeah. why is that such a big deal? And you really have to study the history of money and you have to understand how the attributes of a given money influence human behavior, influence the institutions that are built on top of that, be they government or financial or otherwise. And then once you start doing that and you start connecting the dots, you see just how influential the money really is to human action and society. And uh, there's, and, and so Everything we do, basically, I mean, every action we take has a value dimension, ultimately, because, you know, why do you zig when you could have zagged? Well, because you valued zigging more. You know, why did the chicken cross the road? Because he valued the other side of the road more. The value judgments are intimately wrapped up in every single action we take. And money is our ability to express intersubjectively those value signals in the form of price. And if that, and, the, and, and so it's basically, it, it's the matrix of society, effectively. And depending upon the attributes of the money, how much can that matrix be perverted, distorted, corrupted? How much does it truly represent the value judgments of each individual? Um, and those, the answers to those questions have profound implications. And the people that have studied Bitcoin and really gone down that rabbit hole are beginning to realize that. And that's, of course, why we, we all come off as like, you know, crazy people, because <laughs> we're, we're the ones trying to say like, this, this is going to be much bigger than you think. This is not just about being able to get a yield on DeFi sushi swap for yeah. at 8% a year. This is far more, uh, far more of a fundamental shift than that. And it, it's going to, and the other thing I think is important to note, um, we're talking about this thing. We're, we're always kind of talking about it in the future. And I think where a lot of people get hung up is they'll hear this kind of rhetoric and they'll say, I'm not seeing that right now. And mm, the point that has to be made to people is, this asset is emerging from zero, right? In, in 2009. And certainly it's going to be mistreated. It's going to be misunderstood. It's going to be volatile. Like this has never happened before a global monetization event for a new form of money, you know, gold monetized, you know, as you know, the history of money in certain mm -hmm. places, it was salt, seashells, cattle, what have you. And then in various places around the world at different times, gold emerged as the greatest form of money because of its attributes. And that's why in, even in these locations that we're not communicating with one another thousands of years ago, gold still emerged as the most uh, most effective form of money. And it's because that our human interaction with its attributes may elevated it to that point, to, to being most useful for expressing intersubjective value in a market. And But it's never happened simultaneously across an interconnected world. And so we're seeing that for the first time. And we're seeing all these perversions and all this noise that's that's coming with it. And it's causing a lot of people, I think, to misinterpret it. And I think it's, it, it would behoove people to recognize and appreciate that we're in the middle of its monetization. So it'll look very, you know, things will look very different in 10 years in 20 years in 30 years and 40 years. Um, and it would be unwise to just look at it as it is today and, and have that kind of um, influence your view of what it's going to be in the future. A, a very simple um, example of that is 
right now, Bitcoin is incredibly volatile, right? It goes up, it goes down. It's a drop in the bucket in the global asset market, right? If the global assets are like 500 trillion plus, Bitcoin yeah, is like 300 area. billion. Big, whatever macro events are currently taking place, and there are some significant ones, of course, Bitcoin is going to be affected by that. Um, but the, the important point is that more and more people will start to appreciate its monetary attributes. They'll start to appreciate the benefits that it brings into their own life. And, the, and this process will just continue. And I suspect at a certain point in the future, it'll be far less volatile as it becomes more distributed, as more people hold it, as more people understand what it really represents, as more people treat it as money. And what I suspect is once it's you know, we're in a hyper-Bitcoinized world, as we like to call it, where everybody holds Bitcoin as their dominant money and uses Bitcoin as their dominant money, whether that's 30 years or 300 years from now, we will see the purchasing power of Bitcoin uh, increase as a reflection of the global productivity increase in a given year. Because instead of it, you know, and I, and I don't think we'll, like right now we're used to something like GDP, right? We say, like, oh, this place grew 2% a year or 3% a year. I think that will be irrelevant in the future because if governments, financial institutions, et cetera, can't siphon off the productive increases of a given market via printing money, then the productive increases in a market in an inviolable, incorruptible money are simply going to accrue to the purchasing power, the purchasing power of the money. And so perhaps in the future, if we're in this hyper-efficient market where prices, sorry, where the cost of capital can be determined in real time all over the globe, where there's no siloing of different currencies, of different financial institutions, the entire world has access to this, this pristine form of money that can flow at the speed of light effectively, then I think that's going to dramatically increase global productivity. As you said earlier, I think it's going to change what we produce because as we've artificially brought down the cost of capital, as we have manipulating interest rates for the last, you know, 50, 100 for all of our history in some way, shape or form, that's changed the calculus of what gets produced, right? If, if the hurdle rate for money is yeah, we 1%. Pr we produce garbage. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. If, there, if, if there's, if money's basically free, you're going to get a lot of garbage. If the hurdle rate is 10%, you're going to have to find a way to create something of extreme value that someone's going to be willing to, or that you're going to be able to make a, a, a return greater than, than whatever the hurdle rate is. And that's what the productivity of understanding the money that blew is my mind. Yeah. Understanding what you just said absolutely blew my mind because I couldn't get it. I'm like, I don't understand how this helps society, a hard form of money that maybe goes up in value. I don't get it. But when I understood that, like, oh my gosh. If the money goes up in value over time, the economy or the market must produce better quality things to separate the people from their money. And this might be something that you understood like 10 years ago, but for me, whenever I got that like a year ago or whenever it was, it was like, oh my gosh, like we are ruining ourselves with all the inefficiencies around the world, like you said, with all the silos. So for example, the business that I'm currently in helping people like we started this business to help people buy income properties to front run government stupidity. Like that's mm -hmm. ultimately why this business exists. I was in tech for 10 years and we're like, wait a second. The only way I can figure out how to front run the government stuff is these hard assets and no one's really helping people will be the ones to help people. And it was, it really came from a place of service. We were like, Hey, yeah, we are going to help people. They need to buy income properties to front run the government money printing but this business really shouldn't exist. Like, can you imagine the, the you know, uh, 
and now just, just to, to on that note, now I, I treat this business as like, it's, it's this awesome to me. And for, for anyone who works with us, they're going to laugh when they hear this, but I, I, I treat this business as like, okay, getting people to Bitcoin is like a big leap. So I get people into the idea of owning hard assets to front run the government. Right. And then we earn some fiat dollars as a, as a business. And then, and then we ourselves turn as many of those fiat dollars as we can into Bitcoin. And then I get an opportunity to say, oh, well, now you understand why real estate was good and why you're doing it. Here's the next step. Like check out this Bitcoin thing. So mm -hmm. I'm currently using this as like an honor and in a weird way, John, I know that sounds weird, but I'm like no, currently no. using this as like this on-ramping system to kind of graduate people in peace. Cause it's, it's often hard enough to get someone to understand they should buy a hard asset. You know, even that leap currently for a huge part of the population, we, we, we find that really challenging to get people to make that leap. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so this is also my way it's become my way of like, okay, this is how we're going to get people introduced to some of these concepts and a lot of the, the stuff that we do here. But back to what I was trying to articulate was that ultimately this business shouldn't exist. There shouldn't be a need for myself and my brother and the, the wonderful, like we have a big team here now to be doing this. And all these minds and computing power could be doing something else to further push humanity, society, the economy in a direction, in a positive direction for all of us by offering something back to your point that is higher, that is, you know, would, of higher quality, high enough quality that you would spend your Bitcoin to receive whatever good or service that we produce. Mm -hmm. Instead, we're kind of playing defensive, right? We're kind of playing defensive with our the, the current fiat dollars and saying, hey, you know, put your money in hard assets. It's a way to front run, you know, the government and, you know, do all these kinds of things. Um, and it, there shouldn't be a need for that in the economy. And how many people are employed in that type of manner in the economy? There's thousands mm. and tens of thousands. So yeah. again, back to what you're saying, if you just redirect all that brain power, I'm not trying to say I'm the smartest guy by any means. I just mean, you know, put that effort into something that can create a better world for all of us. It would be amazing. And it comes from the base of the system, which is the money. I'm just ranting now. I I don't get the no, opportunity. It's, it's, it, it's like, good stuff. <laughs> good stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 you're 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 one of the people that gives me the opportunity to just like rant like this. So thank you. <laughs> well, rant rant away, rant away. Yeah, yeah. But of course, I agree. And you know, the, the the very simple way of looking at this is if the the currency loses value, right? If it's inflated, as it is everywhere, and if it has that capacity then even if people aren't aware of the mechanics, there's going to be a financial incentive that they will almost pick up subconsciously via price signals that tells them the money is no good. You need to find another way to store value. And that's the world we live in. So you have you know, real estate and art and wine and pretty much Rolexes, anything else that has any yeah. degree of scarcity, right? Yeah. Um, that has, has taken, assume the role that money once had because the money is so broken. And so if we're assuming that we're, we're moving into an era where the money is less viable, less dilutable, less inflationary than any money before, because it's absolutely non-inflationary, then I think we should assume that that monetary premium that's on real estate, that's on wine, that's on art, all this other stuff will over time, of course, this is not going to happen overnight, but will over time basically be siphoned back into the money and all a lot of these things now again we don't want to be too uh absolute about this like people art is a very subjective thing for example oh sure so yeah you, of course you might pay ten thousand for a piece of art i might pay a hundred thousand what how much of that is a monetary yeah that's just economic that sure. who knows right 
but for for things that are very util like utilitarian or like a house, a car, these sorts of things, they should experience the greatest fall back to their utility value because the monetary premium that they were used for is now a suboptimal. The sorry, the store of value that they were used for is now suboptimal to another option that's on the market, which is Bitcoin. And of course, it doesn't come with all the uh, the other considerations, which you know, property taxes and upkeep costs and maintenance costs and headaches and it's its physical location, inability to move it easily, all that kind of stuff. So Bitcoin outcompetes all of those former stores of values and, and brings it back into the money in such a profound and strong way that I think we'll see that monetary come off of a lot of goods and services. And to your point about, you know, we were talking about how, how many ways in which this changes things. I mean, as you're saying, if if the hurdle rate for production, for pro providing a good or services goes up so much, it begs a question, like, what are we going to value? How will society mm -hmm. shift in kind of what it values most? And if the, the people that, if the early cohort of people that really understand Bitcoin are any indication, it would seem that there's a devaluation of the material and the frivolous and all of that stuff. And there's an increased value ascribed to almost the uh, intangible. Right yeah. of relationships of lifestyle family, of lifestyle yeah, time, these sorts time. of things yeah right exactly and so we'll probably see those things be valued mm -hmm. more and they will receive capital and those other things valued less and they will receive less capital and you know one of the off the the common um, rebuttals to this is well if you're suggesting that because the money can't be manipulated or diluted that the productive capacity of the market or the world is going to accrue to the purchasing power of the money every year because you won't have that siphoning off effect of, of the government or whatever institution being able to print money, um, then you're going to get hoarding and you won't get production and that's mm -hmm. going to be bad for economies. Mm -hmm. This whole like kind of inflation is yeah, necessary I... narrative that people have been uh, brainwashed on yeah. and they fail to realize that you're not going to get the increased purchasing power without the production because that's where it comes from. So once once mm -hmm. Bitcoin is evenly distributed and it's, you know, it's not a, a thing that a get rich quick thing anymore, and it's just money. The purchasing power that it experiences will be a direct result of the increase in the productive capacity of the world or the market mm -hmm. in whatever given time frame. Mm -hmm. And so you needn't worry about hoarding because the money is deflating, let's say, at 5% a year, because that's a direct result of the production that did occur. And so I just want to throw that out there because a lot of people are still stuck in this mindset where mm -hmm. a little inflation is good. We need a little yeah, inflation for yeah, economic yeah. growth, and it's a little theft a, is okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's that. It's yeah. such a, and it's so ingrained. You it's ask so a lot of ingrained. people, like, hey, it was know, ingrained with me. It was ingrained with me, and I studied this stuff. I studied gold and silver for I want to say like and money for like ten years. I still was struggling. Still, so yeah, yeah no, I get it, and that's why I think some people hearing you maybe for the first time it can be a lot to take in. Like something is so obviously you articulated so well, someone hearing that I can understand and sympathize with the confusion that you might have, but I would challenge anyone listening to this to go down that rabbit hole and try to prove for yourself why or why not what John said, like agrees with your current views on the world. It's worthwhile. If, yeah. And if I can add one piece to that, another one I often hear, and you know, this comes from a lot of the so-called economists, the fiat economists around the world is yeah, well, we need more fine control of monetary policy because like, what if there's a, a big unexpected event, whether it's a financial catastrophe, whether it's an earthquake in Chile or whatever, 
Like we need the ability to uh, see ourselves through that by manipulating mm -hmm. the money. And once you begin to understand money, it's such an asinine assertion because what you say, so it, uh, an earthquake happens in Chile. And what is money ultimately? Money is that is where all the preferences of every single actor in a market and the state of the natural world converges into a signal that tells you this is the most pristine, harmonized state of the world as it is this very second. And what it does is when circumstances change, be they people's preferences or events in the natural world, that balance gets re it gets rebalanced to account for that change. And what you what you're suggesting by expanding the money supply in response to a catastrophe is saying, hey, there was an earthquake in Chile and that's affected copper prices, let's say. But that's very disruptive. So let's print a bunch of money so that we we are able to maintain stable prices. So we're and what you're what you're effectively doing there is you're you're impeding the ability of that price signal to to communicate truth to the market. You're introducing noise into that for an arbitrary reason that is ultimately detrimental to what you're seeking. And what you're seeking is the optimal balance of everyone's wants and needs and preferences in a market in relation to what the natural world can currently provide. And you're trying to find the, well, the optimal balance. And by introducing noise, by changing the calculus, by trying to act like something didn't happen, you're impeding that process from happening under the guise of, of stabilizing things when all you're actually doing is making things le less stable. And to your point earlier, the, the fact that this has run for so long and the fact that, you know, fiat currencies have been, you know, the status quo for so long, we get this hyper-financialization of the world where, as you said, like so many people are engaged in finance and everyone doesn't matter. Like if you're just a, you know, regular Joe plumber, you have to either push yourself out on the risk spectrum to maintain your capital. So like you were saying about your own business, you have to engage in, in real estate investing, or you have to engage in the stock market, or, and this is the case for most people, you have to hire somebody else to do it because just to maintain the value of your capital, you need to take more risk. And this creates it just a sounds massive, like such a joke. Right. And this creates a massive universe of unnecessary complexity and financialization that is itself making the whole system more fragile, less, um, more fra more fragile rather than less fragile and i think you know we're kind of the 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 chickens coming home to roost right now in 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 the world i think the fragility of of global financial markets and the fragility of global economies is starting to make itself more known um, as a result of that and uh you know so it, it could be a challenging time but again thank god that we now have a life raft that is so available to everybody i mean you don't have to be a genius to understand Bitcoin. You get yourself your 12 words, right? You write them down, you secure them, and then you slowly siphon your capital from that fiat, that fragile, that manipulated, distorted world. And you slowly or, or rapidly, up to you, put it into the more pristine, the more secure, the more truthful world. And the crazy phenomenon is, is that if you do that and, and that simultaneous to, to doing that, you learn about these things and you keep going down that rabbit hole, you might find that the benefits are more than just financial, as we as we alluded to already. You might find the benefits bleed into the personal, into your understanding and your perspective of things and how you value things. Because at the end of the day, like we just said, I think this will cause a, a shift in how we value things and how society determines or defines what progress is and 
what gets produced and all those things. I, I and- also think there's, uh, John, I apologize for inter- interrupting. I, I also think it gives a person a, such a powerful sense of confidence because they are custodying something that they, you know, whether they believe it themselves or, you know, they've concluded that this is the best form of money that I can have. And I'm custodying it myself personally, mm-hmm. there's a sense of power or confidence that comes from that. And I'm using power intentionally. Like, I mean, there is a sense of power that yeah. comes from knowing, Hey, it doesn't really matter what's happening on a, you know, this exchange is blowing up over here or some countries having problems over there. I might sympathize with people who are, you know, losing life savings. And of course, you know, I have a feelings for this, but for yourself, there is just a certain sense of it's more than confidence. Like it is to me, a sense of power. Like mm-hmm. I, I feel like you feel like you're in control more of your own life. And that, that seeps into other areas of your life. It seeps into how you treat your friends and your, your family and just your, your outlook on the future. And uh, I, I think right now with the abstraction layers that we have in government, and we talked about financial services, you know, like we talked about real estate there a little bit, but the financial services globally as a whole, like how, how many people global, imagine all the minds working in financial services. If we just geared those minds to nuclear power or efficient energy or whatever, like where we could be as, a, as humanity. Instead mm-hmm. of all of us chasing what we were talking about earlier, right? Um, so I just feel like, yeah, it's this weird thing. And uh, I guess I don't know fully how to articulate it. That's why I'm just kind of stuck on the words of power and confidence. I'm, I'm still going through it myself, John. Well, but, you uh, know, there's, a, some, a there's something people, there's something there, you know, a lot and of it, people it's, report. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna say a lot of people report, you know, this feeling of Bitcoin Zen, because when you when you have that degree, let, let's use a an example that's relevant to the two of us, you know, the trucker convoy earlier this year. Yeah. If you donated on GoFundMe, if you were part of a Bitcoin donation or whatever, you very, you were at risk of having your access to your money, what you thought was your money, cut off for God knows how long, for what, re- for, for no reason, no explanation, no warning, just snip, <laughs> done. And of course, when you, and the flip side of what you were just articulating is responsibility. And and yeah. as a as an aside, this is why we see these FTX and all this blow-ups mm-hmm. because people aren't willing to take the response that power with great power yeah, comes good great point. responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. And that is the mm-hmm. flip side of this. Yes, it it can deliver to you a sense of power, a sense of peace, a sense of security, a sense of calm, a sense of zen it, at, in in the face of the chaos of the world because nobody can disintermediate you from that asset if you take the responsibility to handle it and custody it properly. And that's where most people fall down. And it's because they don't recognize where the value, the true value of this thing is. It's not because, Oh, cool. Cryptocurrencies are the next internet and I'm going to get rich by investing in them now. No, the value is that you get to, to have a direct inviolable relationship with your money now for the first time in, in basically human history. And that is a, a incredibly profound notion, but it does require a, a shift in mindset because most people, have grown up in a world where most things that have any degree of complexity, not that having securing 12 words really does, but that there's a perception that it has complexity, but most of those things we delegate to other people, send the money to the bank, they'll secure it. They'll make sure the robbers don't get at it. The FDIC will back. Yeah, if you up. forget your password, you can get it reset. Ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and then when you start thinking about how that becomes habitual, then you look at other areas and see how much are people doing that to their healthcare quite a bit, probably. There's, you know, they're, they're not taking care of themselves. And then they show up at the hospital when things go wrong and say, Hey, fix me doc. 
you know? And so how many, how, how has this inculcated into people a culture of not taking responsibility for things and delegating responsibility? And I think this is precisely why when you, when people make that switch in the form of money, which is basically their means of moving through the world. So it's perhaps the thing that's most important to take responsibility for when they make that switch, they start to make that switch in other areas of their life. They want to take more responsibility. They want to be more in control. They want the sovereignty back for themselves for a broad spectrum of things, be they healthcare, relationships, business, et cetera. They, they don't want to, they recognize the danger of relinquishing control and they want to take that, that greater responsibility, but that's, that's quite a, a significant shift in perspective and not everyone is, is ready to do it off the hop. And it's, and it's tough to convince people just off the hop, like you're saying to, to, to get there, you know, um, but yeah, like when I, tra- this, this year I've been traveling a little bit more than usual. And it is weird. Like when you feel like you are custodying some form of monetary asset, like, you know, when you have your own Bitcoin, you're custodying it and you're anywhere in the world, you feel like you can get direct access to it. Whereas before, if I was traveling in Croatia and sometimes I think, oh, geez, if like my visa card gets shut off or my debit card gets shut off, it's going to be a little bit of a pain to get access to like the Canadian banks because I'm over here, but it does give you a real sense of freedom when you have some Bitcoin that you can access anywhere in the world and more and more people are transacting directly in it. And I think if you are not in this world, you think no one is, right. you don't think people are, but there's more and more of us out there that are. And that's actually yeah. what I wanted to ask you, maybe actually just to transition a little bit. I think you're exposed to a lot more of these things than, than I am, but can you talk about what, what you're seeing? Maybe some of the stuff that you are excites you about where people are starting to use um, Bitcoin a little bit. Like, I don't know if it's going to be Stacker News or Fountain or recently did a podcast. I don't want to mess up his last name. It's Tom and I, I can't pronounce his last name. I'm going to, I'm going to mess it up. Oh, but it's sats back. Um, <laughs> I'll probably mess it up too. Yeah, but can you? Are there any of those ones just to tr- to, to to change our conversation a little bit of where you're seeing um, people using this stuff that's kind of got your attention a little bit? Yeah, sure. The, before I do, I, the, the final point on what we were discussing. No, you keep going. Um, if you want to go another half hour on this stuff, you just go. All right. Well, I just <laughs> I I want to I recognize that in these conversations we are cheerleading a lot right and totally. and and, yes. and part part of and that sometimes is sometimes pounding the pounding the table cheers <laughs> right and and that's because as you go down that rabbit hole of understanding and changing your perspective it accelerates and you there's no going back so you just keep going down and so to someone who's yet to embark on that journey it can seem like we're failing to appreciate certain aspects of this whole phenomenon or where they might be and so i just wanted to say when we talk about you know the hurdle rate being higher and people having to provide more value in a market as a result of uh, of the money being improved and and having to provide more value in order to succeed in in production or business or what have you and and how things have become so financialized and all the rest of it you know of course there's going to be investment and you know uh probably even lending and stuff like that in the future but i but just imagine a world where that joe plumber Instead of having to go out on the risk spectrum, whether it's in a registered retirement savings account or any other sort of financial product, what if most people in the world, all they wanted to do was devote their time and energy resources to producing something of value for someone that's willing to pay them, and then taking that payment and putting it in the so-called bank, i.e. their own custody, and not having to do anything, knowing that it's going to be there for them when they need it in 10 years, 20, 40, 50 years time. Because you can imagine, what if you know 50 years ago, 
you were that Joe Plummer and you hated banks. You didn't trust anybody. You weren't savvy to the stock market and you just put it in cash under your mattress. You're wrecked right now. Your entire life savings are absolutely decimated. And so I, th I think it's going to be such a refreshing and such a healthy change yeah. where people can once again work, store the fruits of their labor in, in a money that's going to, you know, let's say increase in value, increase in purchasing power slowly, you know, and it's, they're not going to have to take extra risk in order to save. Cause that's what everyone has to do today or worry. And, yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. And that goes back to the calm and, and peace aspect of it. And then we'll see that we'll, obviously based on people's time preferences and their amount of capital, you're going to say, you know, Tom might say, Hey, I really like that, that business idea. I'd like to invest in your business. Of course, mm -hmm. that's still going to take place, but all the point I'm just trying to make is that it's going to be all that risk-taking is no longer going to be necessary. And as a result, it's going to be dramatically diminished. And as a result, I think we're going to see people with more security and calm and, and, and confidence about their lives and the future. And then we're going to see capital one be priced in real time as it should be. None of this artificial interest rate set, mm -hmm. set by 12 dudes in a, you know, in a dark room somewhere, but it's actually going to be, we were talking about, you know, the function of money and prices before, well, the cost of capital is going to be that is performs that same same function, right? It's it's taking all the time preferences of all capital holders, savers in the world, and based on how much they're, you know, what those time preferences are, how much they're willing to risk, how much they're willing to lend, all this kind of stuff, you're going to have capital markets that are again at the speed of light in real time, globally determined. And how much efficiency is that going to bring oh. to global production and to global investment? I mean, again, that's a that's a very difficult point uh, point to quantify. But we are so far from that today. I mean, just imagine arbitrarily saying the cost of capital is three percent for the U.S. dollar, and as a result, you know, for most of the world, versus every single action taken by every single money holder in the market all over the world producing a cost of capital that is perfectly truthful mm -hmm. to all the, the circumstances of the world. And how well is that going to harmonize preferences with production and, and value and all of that kind of stuff? It's going to be, it's going to be very, very interesting and a, and a huge improvement from where we are today. And I think we're going to get there sooner than I once thought, because I think it's just last week or this week, Preston Pish had a, um, a gentleman, and I, I feel badly that I, I don't recall his name, but he's in the energy sector. And he was talking about how there's like a 10% basically waste of inefficiency and just the cost of capital that's being sent around in that industry to get energy from whoever's producing the energy to the ultimate retailer or the consumer of that energy and that they're mm. toying around with using the lightning network to stream payments back to the producer of the energy in real time and they're by just streaming that directly between the end user and the producer of the energy, they're going to be able to save a 10% cost just because there's just that much waste. So to mm -hmm. your point, when you get a form of money that can travel at the speed of light and doesn't have to go to a centralized authority to, and all these different levels to actually transact, it's going to save us a lot of money as, as well. And then on your, so I think we're going to get to a place that I thought was going to take longer sooner than we think just because of technology and network effects. I really, I really now believe that. 
Because before I thought, oh, 10 years, maybe before we see anything really interesting. And I'm like, no, 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 this is going to be sooner than that. And then on the second thing, when you were talking about people like, you know, the plumber who's making their money and, and that kind of stuff. When I was growing up, I got the opportunity, and I'm very thankful for it, um, in the early 1980s to go to my, my father's village in Croatia outside of split on the Adriatic coast there. And then when, when you have a village and you watch how a village operates, and I'll remember, I remember this pretty vividly as a kid, there was much older people in that village and um, they were the wise elders. They didn't worry about food. The rest of the community took care of, you know, feeding them and they had the opportunity to relax and maybe pitch in if they wanted to ride a horse or do some load up a, a donkey with potatoes and go, you know, whatever they were doing, you know, to take care of the chickens, they could kind of pick and choose and they could pass on their wisdom, which is what I saw them doing a lot. They would say, Hey, the, the reason the horse, uh, they would have a horse kind of run on, I guess it was wheat. And I think it was to separate the seeds from the wheat. Someone else is going to listen to this and just laugh at me because I don't really remember exactly what was going on, but I remember the wise kind of elders of the older people of the community they would just pitch in and give the younger people who were doing that the guidance on like, hey, you're doing that wrong, do it this way. Mm. And they were the wise elders of that village. And they weren't really worried about their next meal because the way the villages work, you, you know, you always took care of everybody in the village. And if I extrapolate that out to a global economy, I'm like, we don't get that at the global economy because our wise elders now, and it hurts me. They're coupon clipping, or they're trying to get to the lowest, cheapest grocery store to buy the most, you know, unhealthy food because that's all they can afford because their money is going down in value. So we don't get mm -hmm. this benefit of the wise elder. And yeah. I think that's lost, especially in North American society. Whereas I really got the opportunity to see the value of that. That's how you pass things on from generation to generation. It can be very helpful. These are teachers mm -hmm. that we've mm -hmm. now lost in today's society because of because of the money, because yeah. of the money, we have lost the wise elder, especially yeah. in North America. So when I hear you say these things, like it, it, it just resonates with me really, really deeply. You know, I think about my father now, sorry, now I'm going off. I, 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 I often rant, but John, for some go, reason, baby, go. I, I rant, I rant <laughs> so, but my father, like, I'll just never forget how hard my father worked when he came to this country. And I remember when he was able to save up $10,000 and that was in the 1980s. Now, if he gave that to my son, his grandson today, the value of that $10,000 that I saw my father get up at five in the morning, in the middle of winter, go put drywall up, get the snow off the drywall, working in the dark with the wind blowing through these construction sites and how hard he worked every day to save up that money and then to save it and maybe pass it on to his grandson, uh, grandson. But the value of that $10,000 of that measurement of his time and labor, it's just gone. And it, it, it just, it, it irks me to no end. Yeah. So, um, well, anyway, I didn't this, know I was going to get into this stuff. No, no, John, it's good. So. It's good. Let me, <laughs> let me riff on it a little bit too. So, I mean, this is just another wrinkle in the implications of upgrading the form of money, right? That most people wouldn't think of. Like, what are you telling me that, 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 that money is going to somehow influence the integrity and the, the security and the foundation of the family and all the effects that has? I mean, as you say, one of the reasons one of the effects of the money deteriorating is that people have to work longer, right? They have less capital to see them through their later parts of their lives. As a result, they have less time and attention to devote to other pursuits that they might want to engage in, which is maybe the transfer of wisdom from one generation to the another, to another. If a family, you know, has to have two parents working now as a result of the manipulation of the money, then what does that mean for the cultivation of and development of the children? Probably not as good. 
what does it mean for the stress that's placed on a family and the, mm. the impact that that might have on the marriage and single, you know, single family homes, et cetera, probably not a good impact. And so as you can see how it, how it uh, affects so many different things. Alternatively, if you could say, oh, well, and, and, and Sailor makes a, a good point often that if you did want to do what you just said, which is hand down money or capital from generation to generation, what are you going to do it in? I mean, real estate, that's a cost over time. Now, maybe the increase in value in the current landscape exceeds the cost. And so that's, you know, it's, it's decent, but it's only in one place. And a lot of places around the world have political problems and you have to flee. And like, so it's, it's, it's not very flexible in that capacity. Gold has been confiscated in pretty much every country in the world over the last hundred years. Of course, you're not going to do it in cash. So how do you, how do you have uh, generational security? How, mm -hmm. how do you continue to improve the foundation of a fan of a family generation mm -hmm. to generation ra rather than it disintegrating you want it to become more integrated you want it to become stronger over time and in an environment where now you have the tool to do that how is that going to influence the strength of marriages the development of children the you know the treatment and the life and the wisdom of elders that we're able to access and like in my opinion all of that will become greatly improved and greatly yeah. enriched and so we'll be able to, well, we'll be able to access more of our, well, one, we'll be able to, to build stronger, more integrated families that will build stronger, healthier, more integrated communities, you know, jurisdictions, provinces, nations, what have you. And I think we'll all be able to pursue things that are um, of greater value, whatever you might believe that to be, as a result of not being in such a um, state of deprivation, as a result of being stolen from through the devaluation of the currency. And again, you know, like most, most people wouldn't think that, uh, that the quality of the money has anything to do with marriages and children, child development, yeah. and, you know, passing down wisdom through the ages. It, it but sounds it ridiculous does. at first. Yes. Yes. Agreed. It does. Yeah. And to your point about this happening more quickly, you know, again, I don't make predictions because we live in a kind of a clown sure. world and who knows yeah. how things are going to happen. <laughs> but I think the point, if the point is correct, that capital efficiency is so or there's capital is so much more efficiently treated in this bitcoin world right where capital can flow more quickly and efficiently it can be priced more quickly and efficiently and the participants in that market can't be stolen from so they're more able to express value they have more confidence in the system etc cetera, etc cetera. how quickly will that emerging system outcompete the extremely hampered and distorted legacy system and mm. You know, right now it's still small, but I think the efficiency gain is so great that, you know, it could, I think it could, it could surprise us all in how quickly it takes place. And it's it may be one of those scenarios where there's just a, you know, a breaking point, basically, like, you know, for you think the Bitcoin holders that are actually engaging in a Bitcoin economy are like, you know, a million people or 10 million people around the world. But once it hits 500 million and it's a hundred times more efficient than the legacy system, well, that like uh, stampede into mm -hmm. the, you know, that more efficient system could be quite dramatic and it'll create all sorts of problems and there'll be all sorts of speculation and, you know, it's going to. Like we're seeing it, it, now. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's most yeah. likely going to be um, somewhat tumultuous, which is why it's, there's such an imperative for people to understand this as soon as they can and begin, you know, making the transition for themselves, begin you know, storing some of their wealth, 
in an asset that can't be violated that they secure and they custody and nobody can can take from them. I mean, that's that's really step one. Get your 12 words and start putting some Satoshis on them. And then, you know, follow along. There's lots of information out there. Lots of people talking about this stuff, books, podcasts, articles, you know, documentaries, all that kind of stuff to get more familiar with this, because I think we would both agree this is not this can't be stopped now. You know, the genie's out no. of the bottle. Yeah. And and so you better get on board uh, or, you know, the, the sooner you get on board, the less pain you're probably going to experience, both from the legacy system or speculating in all this nonsense around cryptocurrency. Um, and, you know, I, it would be great if people could avoid pain. Most often, like I said at the beginning, people have to touch the stove, but all the better if not. I wonder if I wonder if North Americans in general, Canadians, Americans that, and if I just focus on Canada for a second, if you're born in Canada and you've lived here your whole life, it's kind of worked for you. Like it's kind of worked. Yeah, totally, like you, totally. you got education, it's been safe. The banking system has been good. So you really haven't had to go down this rabbit hole. And I'm, I just wonder if there's just this flippening where the rest of the world gets it. Like if you're in Argentina, you understand inflation. You just naturally mm. understand inflation. If you're in other parts of the world where you can never have a bank account, um, and now you can custody some money or something, you get this. So I just wonder, you know, if it's almost been a detriment to Canadians or Americans as well, that everything's kind of sort of worked for their whole lives, especially, you know, if you're 30, 40, 50 years old, things have been pretty, you know, quote unquote, pretty good. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of bad things too, but in general, I guess you could say it's pretty good. And I wonder if that's just holding people back and it's just not you know, it, it, it's like, it's worked okay for long enough to kind of leave me alone. I don't have to think about these things. But then when this flipping happens, I wonder if it's like North Americans are the last to figure it out or European, you know, Europeans as well, I guess, like Western Europeans, at least I could throw into that. Um, it'll be interesting to see what that happens. Cause I, I think that's what happened a lot with the trucker convoy here in Canada. I feel like People were just, uh, there was a bigger segment of the population than I thought that were just okay with what the, whatever the government said during that. And I think it's because it came from a place of like, well, the government's kind of sort of done okay for us. So whatever they say goes, you know what I mean? So Absolutely, I just wonder yeah. if it, it, it's kind of holding a lot of people back that it's, it's, it's kind of worked and it's almost like you need to have this rude awakening, um, yeah, to, to and, really and, understand the 12 words and, and custodying yourself and to go through the quote unquote hassle of custodying mm -hmm. yourself. You just haven't had to have that responsibility. Um, and, and, but you kind of, you come to a conclusion at a certain point, once you study this enough that you just must do that. Like it's, you, you have to do that. I consider it now like starving the beast. To yeah. me, it's like, this is starving the beast every time. And I know that's you all, you all radical you. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, I know. I know anyone listening to this that doesn't know like, who is this, who is this person? But, uh, but that's how I view it. I'm like, you know, the, yeah. the only way to do this is we're going to starve the beast. We're going to starve yeah. it. And when I say we, I mean all Bitcoiners together who don't know me, but all of us together, when you buy, buy some Bitcoin or I guess I should say exchanging some fiat for some Bitcoin, you're just starving the beast. Yeah. And there's two things about that. One, um, I agree with you that a lot of people like they, they, even in response to the trucker convoy or the rhetoric used by the government, they just they don't see it. And, and part of that is because it really is a type of spell, because as we were mm -hmm. saying about it, like if you have the power to arbitrarily conjure up capital and allocate it at will, that, that's an incredibly powerful force of 
direction because you're, you're, you're directly intermediating the price signal in your favor along the lines of what you think should happen, should be created along the lines of your values. And so the market can't help but respond to that, can't help but gravitate to it because that's what we're all chasing, right? You're chasing that signal, that value signal. And the one who gets to distort it the most accrues a tremendous amount of power and it creates this artificial landscape, right? Like a lot of people won't, you know, may may have a difficult time, uh, uh, you know, seeing what I'm saying here. But the world is going to look very different because how much, how much of the the world that we exist in, how much of the capital that's allocated in Canada, for example, is allocated by one way or another by the government. So as an employer, or as oh. you know, infrastructure and public works projects, as social care, as how they how they take taxes, both direct in the form of you know, normal taxation and indirect in the form of inflation, how much capital are they allocating? And how different will it look, as you said, when the beast has been starved and people and individuals are allocating capital based on their savings, and that beast no longer has the capacity to allocate capital? Things are going to look different because individuals make different choices than large bureaucratic you know, governments and whatever their interests and ends may be. And again, in particular in Canada, because Canada, I think, has a, an above average trust in government and, a, you know, kind of leans quite big government in general. And so when, sure. you t when you drop a term like starve the beast, I think people are going to be like, well, what do you mean? It's like, <laughs> well, what happens when you custody your own money? It can't be surreptitiously taken from you via inflation. And if you're, and a little bit out in the future, if you're operating in a circular economy, where you're exchanging, you know, your services, goods and services for Bitcoin, and you're custodying it all yourself, how are they getting their pound of flesh on that? You know, if we play this out, and the answer is, is if you can't inflate the money and steal purchasing power and wealth that way, and if it's way, 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 way harder to tax, because we, we've all had this experience, Tom, you go to your barber, you pay him 20 bucks in cash, he doesn't record it, you know, it's, it's off the books, right? What happens when the entire global economy, the base monetary standard for the world is cash effectively and treated as cash? Yeah, It's way harder for that beast to feed itself. And the, the, what the necessary outcome is it for, for it to shrink. And so governments, whether they like it or not, and this is why so many are going to likely be opposed to it ultimately, is that governments are going to have to shrink because they've been high on the hog for so long by those two methods of theft. One taxation, you, there's an argument there that it's not theft. Maybe you think it's voluntary, you engage in it. Although I, I, I would think most people would rather pay less and think they should pay less. And the other one is involuntary and surreptitious and unknown to mo most people, which is through inflation. And when both of those things are either made impossible or way, way, way harder, then that institution can no longer fund itself. And it has to shrink down to whatever size the market determines is valid for it to be to act as some form of arbitrating authority, whether it's other forms of property rights like real estate, et cetera, whether it's in relation to uh, security and defense, who knows, right? There's a lot of questions to be answered, but the punchline is they won't be able to fund themselves to the extent that they are today. That means they must shrink. And you know, I doubt most are going to go quietly into the good night on that one because nobody likes to give up power. Okay. Yeah. So it's right on that note then where I get most of the pushback. Are you still okay for time? Can I bug you? For I'm a good, few man. Minutes? As long as you oh, want to okay. go. I'm, okay. Okay. I'm ready. It's right on that point where I get to some of these conversations with some of my friends where people then get scared right there yeah. because they're like, okay, Tom, how do, how does the existing status quo lash out 
at the population. So how does the existing government lash out and mm -hmm. try to stop that from happening? And I think that's what holds a lot of people back because they're like, well, why am I even going to bother going down this Bitcoin rabbit hole? Whereas the government's going to realize what this is at some point, And they're just going to say, get it back on the exchange if you're cussing yourself or we're taxing it in a windfall tax at, you know, 90%, like just, they're going to annihilate this thing. Yeah. How, what do you say to people who say, well, you know, that kind of scares me. I'm not going down this rabbit hole because what's the point? They're going to come at this hard. And maybe with everything going on right now, as we're recording this, maybe like maybe we might be entering that phase right now. What, yeah. How do you respond to people? I can't help myself in using another matrix quote, but yeah, yeah. fasten your seatbelt, Dorothy, because Kansas is going bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, so you know, yeah, look, we're, we're, we're going down a rocket. This is going to happen whether you're on board or not on board. May, maybe we'll be surprised to the upside. Who knows? Because at the, you know, Jeff Booth always um, reminds everyone of this point, like, and he's right. There is no they, right? Like those people in the government and behind the central mm -hmm. bank and all this kind of 99.9% .9 of them think they're doing what's best. They're trying sure. to do what's best. Yeah. They think they're good people. They're not trying to be a big oppressive monolith. That's like making everyone's no. lives worse. Yeah. Right. Good point. Yeah. That's just the outcome of a perverse system that's predicated on, on, on corruption, basically on, on false premises on, 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 on corrupt or, or improper principles, let's say. And so part of me hopes that enough of those good people will realize how they're contributing and that they'll want to, they'll, they, they won't participate mm -hmm. in that degree of crackdown. Now, mm -hmm. maybe the, the more realistic, the more realist aspect of me says, you know, things are going to be messy. I mean, there's a reason why a lot of hardcore Bitcoiners are anonymous, fully sure. anonymous, yeah, you know, yeah. they interact yeah. on Twitter anonymous because from day one, you know, and you can look back at the early Bitcoin talk forums uh, online from 2010, 2011, and people very quickly realize like, hey, guys, what happens when we have a form of money that dramatically outcompetes all other forms of monies and nobody can stop? You think the powers that be are going to be the legacy system, however you perceive it, are going to be happy about that? Do you think they're going to just let that happen? And the answer is likely no. And so, it, you know, it comes down to how much do you think this is worth? Like, is this a yeah. cause that you think is is valid enough to inconvenience you to some degree. I mean, we all have to make that choice for ourselves. I mean, I'm, I'm adaptable and ready to do whatever I must to continue participating in this and not be penalized or punished for doing so. Um, but they're probably going to try to cast a pretty broad net. And uh, you, you see that already, as you said, I mean, a lot of exchanges, if you want to send out over a thousand dollars, you have to you know, mm -hmm. say where it's going and all this kind of stuff. The EU is, is seems like they're going to bring legislation around, um, you know, using so-called self-hosted or unhosted wallets, you know, basically self-custodying. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to try to get their tentacles in this. But like the point I made earlier is that Bitcoin used properly is entirely incompatible with existing systems of control mm -hmm. and, and the legacy system generally. And so, you know, it's, it's, whether it comes to a head in one big thing, probably not because, you know, but over time, there's going to be this tension between the two and people will get caught up in that net. And and, and some people already have, unfortunately. But um, I think if we, if we continue to make the case around the principles and the values that this thing is predicated on, that it, it should be the case that people can, that everything that a person engages in with their money would be voluntary. Why should the government be able to steal 
unbeknownst to people, their purchasing power that they accrued by giving their time and their energy and the resources to, to get it. If it, that's a, that's a relationship of slavery, in my opinion, because if one party to that relationship can produce something without cost and the other party has to devote a high cost, which is their time and energy resources, then eventually you have such an imbalance that it's in effect a form of slavery. And we're seeing fairly developed signs of this today where there's such a, a widening wealth gap where, you know, where because the people that are closer to that monetary spigot, oh. because people that are at the top of that financial pyramid, they've been able to siphon off so much wealth from the people that are doing a lot of the work. And I'm, you know, I'm by no means a communist or anything like that. I'm just saying that people should be able to retain the fruits of their labor. Is that not just a simple defendable, defensible premise? And I, I think it is. And so the, it, it's on us to continue making that case, but also I think the the people that are involved in this and the people that really believe in it and the people that are building solutions, they're going to help this asset express its value over time. And I, I honestly just think, however that negotiation happens, ultimately it's going to be too, well, it's going to be too unstoppable and it's going to be too it's going to outcompete the legacy system too much mm -hmm. and how that takes place. I mean, I'm, I think you've read the sovereign individual. I think I saw yes. it on your book, yeah. bookshelf last yeah. time we, we yeah. spoke. Love it. Um, yeah. But you know, that's, that's just beginning to play out right now. So over the last two years with COVID, a lot of people, you know, got fired or, you know, they left their, their jobs or their homes and stuff like that. And they went to jurisdictions where they had more freedom. And then now we're seeing places like El Salvador and Madeira and some other places saying, we're going to be, you know, pro Bitcoin. This is where you can come. And, you know, we're not going to treat you like second class citizens. We want you here. We want you here because you're smart and you're productive and you're ambitious and you're law abiding and all the rest of it. And so come here with your capital. We'll, you know, we value free. So you think too, there'll basically. be some game theory to this? You think it, well, it'll be tough for them? Inevitably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because if it'll the be big, tough to put up. If the big monolith, right, if the big government, Canadian, EU, American, yeah. whatever, starts being more and more overbearing in this regard because of the threat that this poses, well, that's the one of the beautiful things about Bitcoin that you mentioned earlier. It's like you can just <laughs> liquidate yeah. all your assets, siphon into Bitcoin, hop on a plane, walk across a border. You can have a billion dollars as 12 words in your head. You know, so you can't you can't stamp that out. It's not like in, in prior times, be it Syria or Germany or where, wherever, where when you want were trying to escape, you had to leave your wealth behind you. You couldn't take gold bars, you know, on the on, with you. You couldn't sure. take your house yeah. with you, all that kind of stuff. But now you can. And so being that the ability to opt out is so easy now, then we're gonna see jurisdictions pop up that those people are welcomed in and they're gonna they're going to leave in droves from those places that are becoming more and more and more overbearing and authoritarian in an attempt to stop this tide. And, you know, the ones that recognize that earlier are probably going to um, get through the net and they're going to do better. And the later you recognize that to the point we made earlier, the more problems you're probably going to be faced with. And, you know, we shall see how, how this goes, but this is the, the, the point of the discussion where, you know, people think, oh, cool, new technology, you know, it's the dot-com boom 2.0, like, yeah. oh, awesome, another it's chance to a, it's get a lot rich. more it's than like, that, yeah. Sorry, guys, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit more tangly than that, you know, and, and yeah. this, is a, this is a profound civilizational shift, and I'm afraid it's acting as a redress for the corruption and the abuses that have happened up to this point in civilization, 
And, you know, you kind of got to decide which side you're on. You kind of, you kind of got to know your line in the sand. Mm -hmm. What are the principles and values that you hold most dearly? You stand and for, you will, yeah. you will inconvenience yourself to stand up for. I guess. Yeah. Wow. And we, we, I agree. We're, we're, we're kind of like tumbling to this point. And I guess if I just extrapolate this out a little bit, we are going to head to a world where there's going to be some Bitcoin inside the regular regulated environment. And there's going to be some Bitcoin out of it. Like there's going to be these two, two worlds. And I think, um, you know, because I think at some point, some of the government will just say, listen, if you're in this country or this jurisdiction, you have to put your Bitcoin where we can kind of keep our eyes on it. And there's going to be some Bitcoin that goes in there and there's going to some, be some Bitcoin that's not in there. So mm -hmm. I think we are going to head into a world where it's just like these two, you know, part of it is quote unquote captured. I don't like saying that, but you know, it'll well, we're be there now. operating. We're, we're there already. Yeah, I guess we're there now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I mean, we're there now. You're right. Yeah. Everyone's waiting on a, a US ETF as if that's going to be some sort of good thing. Yeah. And, and it seems like <laughs> yeah, a good thing because so, like, look at Canada, right? A lot of people in Canada have heard about Bitcoin and they're, you know, they want a little exposure one yeah. to 5%. And then, you know, the various ETFs that popped up in Canada. Great. I can get some price exposure to this asset. But that's not what this asset is about. This asset is not about price exposure. Now, look, if you, I don't know, if you're into that or if you fail to see the true value of it and you just want to balance out your portfolio, portfolio with some price exposure, I mean, that's the game that's always been played and sure. it's your prerog prerogative. And, but just, and it might just, serve for that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Just do so under the the understanding that you don't own that asset, mm -hmm. right? And so it could be taken from you at any time. The regulations could change. The custodian could go under. We're seeing what happened, what's happening in FTX that they were playing games and they were making trades and they were taking risk with client funds. That can always happen because you don't own the asset. You own a claim on the asset. And a claim on the asset is just as good as nothing when it comes down to it. Because, because those people, just to, to finish that point, like those custodians, the people that run the ETF, all that kind of stuff. It's it's in their best interest to serve you well, right? This is a whole open marketplace of service providers. So because if if they treat you well, they get more business. But it's been the case time and time and time again. And probably with this asset in particular, it's going to be the case as we move forward, it's going to be so politically charged. And it's and it's so mm -hmm. also so easy to abscond with anonymously that the incentive or the the likelihood that that relationship, that claim on that asset that you have is going to be violated at some point, the longer you wait, the more likely that is going to be. And so if you truly believe in the value of this asset and what it can produce both for yourself and in the world, the only sensible approach is to learn how to take custody of it yourself and to do so immediately, especially in this environment, because, and I promise this is the last point, but everyone thought FTX was like the blue chip of crypto exchanges, right? It's about market cap was like 50 billion or whatever it was. Surely, and Tom Brady was uh, promoting it on the Super Bowl ads. Surely this is a safe bet. I'm going to keep my money here. All those people talking about self-custody, like I get it, I get it, but come on, what's going to happen? Boom. In the matter of a couple of days, because they were playing games in an unregulated market with client funds, they're, they're, they're done. They're insolvent, lost, you know, they're 50 billion in, in debt or 10 billion in debt or whatever it is. And that can happen if you aren't the one that's in control of your money. And it's it's just the same lesson being taught time and time again in a different context, in a different time, in a different place, in a different way. But it's the same lesson ultimately, and people will do well to learn it as soon as possible. Well, yeah, 
I think if anyone listens to anything, that last part about you saying taking custody might be some of the most important words you've spoken this whole time. Like you have to take custody. There's one example, and, and I'll, I'll begin to wrap this in, in a minute here, but the UK about uh, four or five, maybe six weeks ago now, John, I don't know if you how closely you followed it. You probably did. Um, the bond market or the guilt market there, they had some major problems. And mm -hmm. one of the big financial custodians that was in charge of the investments and managing that for these pensioners in the UK, when there was no liquidity, in that market and the bonds there started losing value they basically got a margin call i'm kind of i'm kind of summarizing really quickly here but these pensions were investing on leverage and then they got caught when the bonds that they were using as collateral lost value and they were they had to re-collateralize themselves the market mm -hmm. kind of froze up and what happened there, it came out, there's like a Financial Times article, which basically says BlackRock was going to sell those pensions to cash. So if you were a pensioner and you thought in your pension, you maybe had a real estate investment trust, or you had exposure to some great energy companies, or you had exposure to oil or whatever it is that you thought you owned as a real asset. When push comes to shove in a lot of the financial industry right now, if there is going to be a problem in that fiat system, they're just going to dump you to cash. Yeah. And that same week that they said they were going to sell those pensions to cash, the, the pound was getting absolutely annihilated. I don't know if you remember that week. It was probably oh, like yeah, six, yeah. seven weeks ago. Now the pound dropped in value against the US dollar. I think maybe more in that week than in the history that they had been correlated or tracked together, some massive amount. So my yeah. thought process just went to, imagine you were a pensioner living in Spain that worked their whole life in, in England as a bus driver or something, and you had this pension fund. Then you're sold to cash, but you can't even get access to your cash because you don't custody it to your point about custody. You can't even get access to it. And mm -hmm. while you cannot get custody to it, the pound is losing value against the currency you might need it in euros or US dollars. So when you eventually do get it, it's almost worth half of what you thought it was going to be. And that's all because you're not custodying your own assets. Mm -hmm. And we get into this a lot on just the value of, of real estate. And I know real estate, like you said, it's not mobile. It's not portable to all, all these things. You could be in a tax jurisdiction that's not kind to you. But one of the things we try to explain to people is that real estate, you have your name on it. If you, It's not a REIT. Like if you have the property, it's your name on the title. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean, you know, you're not going to try to get taxed or something, but it does give you one closer step to having control of your own assets by owning the REIT real estate directly in your name yourself. And Bitcoin, of course, takes this to the next level, to a level maybe we've never seen before, to 12 words in your head. And yeah. I think this idea of custody, I'm glad it's entering all of our conversations now. And I'm hoping that when people see something like FTX blow up and stuff, they're understanding that the whole system we exist in right now is a bigger version of FTX. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We need I mean, to custody our assets. And that's ultimately what uh, Bitcoin offers. We did do just a big cheerleading session, but I don't care, John. Like I'm, oh, man, I'm you, know, I, you know, I love this stuff, but I mean, yeah, yeah. just to echo, echo your sentiment, I mean, you're totally right. I don't know if you witnessed what happened with the yen, you know, and, and Japan has been engaging in yield curve control to try to keep yields at a quarter percent. And, you know, they, I think they, on one day, the yen was dra dropping dramatically. So they deployed 50 billion US dollars to try to, prop up the yen. It lasted for a day. I mean, again, go back to that conversation about capital destruction. How much would $50 billion do in terms of production and, you know, in, in a market and just to prop up this artificial 
fragile system, you deploy $50 billion and it, and it, it, gives, it gives you a day respite in, in the trend that you're trying to fight, the, the tide that you're trying to keep back. And then like a couple of days later, they announced that in order, and they're experiencing inflation there and devaluation of the currency, they're doing a $200 billion US stimulus package to the people in order to try to help the economic situation. And you just think you're living in, in crazy world where all of these... <laughs> you know, asinine, uh, irrational measures are being taken to try to prop up something that clearly is uh, is corrupted, right? It's, yeah. it's clearly not working and it needs to be resolved. And as, you know, again, to, to quote Jeff Booth, you can't fix the system from within the system. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's not predicated on the proper principles and, and the architecture of the system is completely unfair and completely corrupted and completely distorted. And it's going to continue to produce these distortions in all different domains. I mean, a lot of people would, would um, you know, decry or criticize the social circumstances in the world today, be it they're critical of the government or they're critical of some something happening in the culture and that kind of stuff. And again, to our earlier point, they don't realize how much there's a, the relation that exists between what's happening in the world of money and what's happening in the world of culture. And they, they see these problems yeah. that, are, that are emerging as a result of trying to fix the system from within the system. And because that only makes everything worse, those problems aren't actually being resolved. If anything, they're just being shifted from one place to another. And then someone's you know, more than willing to take the credit for saying, see, look, we fixed it. It's done. And it's just, you know, the, the bobblehead or the alligator pops up somewhere else and you got to hit it down there. And so, you know, we, we live in, first of all, I'm extremely yeah, turbulent times. Yeah. Turbulent, but I'm, I'm I'm also insanely grateful for being alive right now. Yeah. You know, early, yeah. earlier in life, you, you, I kind of had that sentiment. I mean, it was always like the internet's cool and all that jazz, but you kind of felt like whatever that quote is like born too early for, you know, yeah. Rome and born yeah. too late for whatever, you know, you kind of in a, in a no man's land of history where nothing like really awesome is happening. And I, I mean, I think this is most likely oh. the most significant civilizational shift that human civilization going back 6,000 years has ever contended with. And here we are, Tom, you and I, basically having a conversation that, you know, 0.001% of the global population <laughs> would even be able to like, you know, appreciate probably, right? We're, we're so, 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 so yeah. early. And so on that point, you know, perhaps my final thing to say is for skeptics or for people for whom this all seems too hyperbolic is to just zoom out, right? Like there's a lot of chaos happening and price, you know, everyone gets emotional about investments and prices and that kind of stuff, but zoom out and try to get a broader perspective of what's happening here. And I don't just mean on like Bitcoin's price action. If you look at a 13 year log chart versus a, you know, a, a two year chart, you're going to see a very different story being told, but I just mean on, on everything, try to zoom out of the narrow political, the narrow economic, the narrow social worldview that you've cultivated over the course of your life and try to broaden that out and allow for um, a new perspective to take shape. And I think that will that'll happen naturally, as we already talked about, if you try to understand Bitcoin. But I think that's what's needed right now, is that we need people to broaden the, the, their perspectives and try to ground them more in truth. And I think Bitcoin is uh, a very useful tool in doing that. So, you know... Every, Thanks, everyone John. should I mean, uh, should get started on that journey i yeah, guess is yeah and i think say. yeah and you're playing a you're playing a, a really great role in doing that for people so i thank you i mean 
the, the content that you're putting out, you know, whether it's via Twitter or through your podcast, you're doing a great job articulating things and you're making people like myself think in different ways that I didn't think before. And that's helping me then articulate things to other people. So thank you for everything that you're doing. Um, I really enjoyed um, the, the article that you put out. I feel like it was recently, but maybe it was six months ago, but of monsters and maximalists. So whenever you get the urge to write again, please keep writing. I don't know if you've written since then or, or not, but please keep doing, doing the writing. I'm if working on a, a book currently. So that's oh, are you? Up most oh, okay. I guess. Time, yeah. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So yeah, that's fantastic. So um, where could people find you if they wanted to hear more things, where would you direct them to? I think Twitter is probably the best. Um, okay. And my, the, the, the website for the podcast is, is bitcoinrapidfire.com. And the, the conversations are anything but rapid. So that the name is kind of a, you know, it's probably not named appropriately, but that's, <laughs> that's how it got its start. It works. But, it works. But, but most of all, Tom, uh, I just want to thank you for the work you're doing because, you know, we all stand on the shoulders of each other because I'll listen to Sailor, Sailor will listen to Gigi, you know, Gigi will listen to BJ, you'll listen to whomever. And, and this is, this is what makes all this so enjoyable is because we're not all just trying to get rich here. You know, like, of course we want to enhance our financial situation, have more options in life and more security in life. But I think a lot of people are bought into a genuine cultural revolution that's happening. And as a result of that, and as a result of trying to understand Bitcoin and the role it plays in that, there's this intellectual fervor that's, mm. I think it's it's really, really stimulating a lot of people and it's delivering them to something that's, you know, satisfying on a level that, you know, they haven't had for a long time, if ever. And so here we all are, like, you know, whether it's on these podcasts or on Twitter or wherever, and we're all just like slamming together these ideas and th these epiphanies are coming up all the time, right? And, you, and some, of, some of them, you, you think of them and you're like, surely that can't be accurate yeah, or true. Yeah. Like surely I'm just crazy. And then you, you know, you throw it around with some other people and maybe it needed some tweaking, but like, Oh no, that that's actually decent. And we, that's happening at such a rapid rate. I mean, I, yeah. I think of the discourse that's happening now versus three years ago, and it's radically different because there's so many brilliant people coming into this space. Oh, that's interesting. So you've their, noticed their the ideas. difference. Yeah. Got it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so uh, I just think it's awesome. And again, this is why I wanted to thank you for it, that we're all participating in this global conversation that is so utter, you know, so amazingly meaningful in terms of being able to deliver a positive impact to our lives as individuals. And then as we act out in the world to the lives of the people that we care about and even more broadly than that. And it's, um, it's such a pleasure to participate in that. It's such an honor to do so. And so I thank you for your role in it and for having me on for a chat today. Yeah. Love it, John. Keep going. Thank you for this. <laughs> Will do brother. Take care. Hey everyone, hopefully you enjoyed that chat with John. You can find John on Twitter, his Twitter handle, and be careful, there's a lot of fake accounts on his, on, on his name, just pulling it up here. Um, the proper one is at John K. Vallis. So John K. and then Vallis is V-A-L-L-I-S. We will put a link to his Twitter handle in the show notes of this particular episode. And if you are listening to this and you want to get some more real estate information about the greater Toronto Golden Horseshoe area, you can check out all the things that we have to offer videos, podcasts like this, reports, free um, introductory training class, registration links are on, the, on this site. It's all available at rockstarinnercircle.com. That is rockstarinnercircle.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.